right, here we are, The Real Dirt with Chip Baker. On today's Dirt, I have Christian Cedarberg, one of the architects of legal cannabis in Colorado. Longtime friend, great advisor to me and other people here in the cannabis industry. Say hello, Christian. Oh, thank you very much, and uh, real pleasure to be here and excited for this. I'm really excited for getting the word out, and it sounds like you've got a good plan here, so... Happy to be a part of it. Uh, yeah, you know, there's so much uh, information that's new and interesting to people on the subject of cannabis, regardless of if it's business, technology, politics, growing. You know, I've said it before, but almost everyone who's ever smoked a joint has had this like aha <laughs> moment of, I can grow a million dollars. I can make a million dollars. And I know both of us has actually seen people accomplish this yep. um, over time. Let's uh, start off with the who, what, and when. Tell me about yourself, Christian. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I'm actually from from Denver, grew up in Denver, lived here my entire life with the exception of uh, a short stint in Southern California, San Diego, where I went to college. I lived in Boulder for three and a half years, but I consider that a, uh, you know, pretty much living in Denver, although as many, you and Locals many others don't know. consider that. Right? Yeah, I was going right, to say, right. it's, a, it's another... Uh, Another world up there, and certainly a bubble that I lived in for a little while. But, uh, but yeah, I've, I've been a lawyer since uh, 2005. Uh, worked in uh, pri- you know private equity, real estate, a bunch of uh, interesting development projects, golf courses. We built a golf course, which I think is you know Jack Nicholas. It was a Jack Nicholas design course down in uh, Trinidad, Colorado, that now doesn't exist or it's overgrown. But it's uh, you know it was one of the big I've projects I was working this, on. Right? Yeah, in 2008. Uh, you know, 2007, eight, nine hit the massive, obviously the, the huge financial crisis, real estate was hit really hard, but I was still, you know, at my old job, I'd, I'd been friends actually with some of the, uh, I call them hippie lawyers, but I don't, you know, my friends that worked for the ACLU or that did, uh, you know, uh, politically active, yeah, politically active people, immigration attorneys. Uh, And I met a guy, Brian Vicente, who, Spent quite a bit of time with them skiing and other things just through through this network. We ended up renting houses together up in the mountains for the wintertime and networking. Yeah, exactly. Networking. And I was always like, Man, how do you how do you have this as a job, you know, working on medical marijuana? He's running Sensible Colorado, uh, alongside Mason Divert, who's running Safer, sort of like coordinating Mason and Steve Fox were kind of doing the marijuana safer than alcohol. Brian was really fighting on the uh, medical marijuana front with, you know, Sean McAllister and Rob Corey and, and some of those uh, interesting characters and, uh, f- you know, friends from around Colorado. And uh, it was 2009, late 2009, Brian said, hey, can I, uh, you know, can I buy you a, a burrito, a Chipotle? There's some interesting things happening that you might be interested in. And so many good deals start on a burrito. Yeah, man. Well, I said, I'll buy you a burrito because, I you know, he's working for a nonprofit making Probably next, I mean, he was making next to nothing. It was just something he was very passionate about. So, right. uh, heartfelt work. You know, I said, you know, I was the cool corporate lawyer. Uh, Josh Kappel, our now business partner, then law student, had, had mentioned to Brian, we need sort of a corporate person who can do, reg- you know, corporate work, forming companies, contracts, those types of things. And I was sort of the cool corporate attorney they knew because of my hippie lawyer friends. I'd help them when they had something come up or if they wanted to start a, you know. See, knowing you now, I don't see you as the corporate. I don't think I ever was actually either. That, right. That's why I was like the, you know, the cool corporate you lawyer. You just worked in the space. Right. Yeah, you know, and I liked it. I mean, that was certainly, I came out of law school and I didn't want to go to court. I wanted to to do deals and. Served you well. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. And, you know, so that was 2009, 2000, you know, late 2009. And then uh, House Bill 1284, which was the 
uh, you know, medical marijuana law that passed in Colorado uh, through the legislature in 2010. So about a month before it passed or a couple of weeks before it passed, I'd been planning and we'd been working with Brian and some other folks that were lobbying at the Capitol. And, you know, I uh, it kind of came to me as I was looking around and I loved the partners that I worked with and everything, but they... You know, except for with the exception of one guy. Yeah, exception of one guy when he's like, "Oh yeah, man, I've you know come to my ski condo and like, you know, I've got a two foot bong from college and you know this is funny older guy." But like everyone else was like, you know, not marijuana consumers or that marijuana interested, but they were totally cool with it. But kind of figured so it, people are. Yeah, I figured it'd be a better opportunity uh, to kind of go off on my own and do it as opposed to doing it with the firm. <laughs> Uh, you guys were one of the only people doing it at the same at that time. Really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Warren Edson and Rob Corey and Sean McAllister and uh, yeah. Bob Hope and a, a handful of folks were kind of pioneers. Yeah, exactly. Looking into the space, I definitely came in at a time when it was starting to become more. It was you know transitioning into sort of a regulated market. So uh, you know, it's really interesting. We uh, we founded the firm May twenty fourth, two thousand ten. I believe it was at a little bar called City O City down in Capitol Hill. And oh yeah, one of my favorite. Favorite place, Studio City plug right here. Yeah, there you go. And uh, uh, liquor you know, and vegan food. Mm. Exactly. And I told I told Brian, you know, he's like, and Christian's firm's going to help us do some stuff. And I said, why don't we just start a new firm and, you know, we can work together. It seems like it'll make a lot more sense being close, integrated. My old boss, you know, when I told him was like, I'm glad you figured it out. I was worried I was going to have to like tell you, like push you out the door because it seems like a great opportunity for you to kind of go off and we'll be here to support you. But we're more of a white shoe, you know, some of our existing clients probably wouldn't appreciate it. You know, so talked to my mom, borrowed a couple thousand bucks for a couple months rent. And, uh, you know, she, you know, she, the first thing she said was, well, it's medical marijuana, you know, so it's not like you're legalizing marijuana. I said, well, you know, the, <laughs> the plan, and that was, that was Prop 19 days, if you remember. So that was like Prop 19 was up and running. So and, you, you guys were self-funded. You yeah. only started on a, on a few thousand bucks. Yeah. And right. I, that was, you know, the first day we had just a line of clients out the door and, you know, they were coming in because a bill basically gave them till June 30th to vertically integrate if they weren't already. And then there wasn't going to be another month, the month of July, they had to file all of their state licenses per the law so on no August one, 1st. Yeah, everyone needed help. Doing yeah, that. it was crazy. And so, you know, we just kind of approached it as a... Well, as your corporate background came in immediately. Yeah, it did. But it was funny. Right. It was like it came in and like I, I realized very quickly that what I'd been used to doing, which were mid-market deals, you know, five to... However, tens of millions of dollars, these transactions that that was not going to work because like I'd be like, okay, we'll do a term sheet or we'll do, you know, letter of intent or, you know, what what's the next steps? And, you know, the next day someone else walked into somebody with a bag of money, you know, and had already bought the place or had already, they'd already found a new partner. But it was, it was crazy because people were walking around like just strong vendor, you know, vendor, vendee relationships, people that own stores that were buying from backpacks. They were yeah. trying to go to their best people and say, all right, let's start a grow. But, you know, right. so in 30 days, like just hundreds, right as, as you know, hundreds of partnerships, many, many, many of Came which do not, yeah, do not exist anymore. Went. It was um, so rapid. It was burning like wildfire in 2010. I was insane. And right. it was, you know, it was, uh, I always talk about those days because there'll never be when, anything when like When was that it. date again? May? May 24th, I think, 2010. 2010? That's at least when All I right, think we so filed our paperwork officially, too. In May of that month, I had I had one hydroponic store, right? <laughs> and in that month, I did more business in one month than I'd done in the previous two years. Oh, man. Right? Because just like you said, it was vertical integration was it just happening. And, totally. You know, at the time, there's only 13 stores in the industry here. 
Yep. But uh, now there's 180. So yeah, it was wild, and it was yeah. thinking about opening up a hydro store here. I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> Those are crazy times, and the, one of the crazy things that happened was right in the middle of it. So June of 2010. So I just met Josh, who just graduated law school, and Brian, who's you know sort of, but Josh knew everything about the law because Josh was his intern in law school, and this is what Josh, and Josh is brilliant, you know, and yeah, he was passionate about it. He still is. Yeah, absolutely. And and Brian's dad actually was had was very sick and um, went in for surgery in early June. So a week or so after we started the firm and the surgery did not go well. And um, basically Brian said, guys, I'm checking out, you know, my father is probably not going to be with us very long. And, you know, it was, this was June, first couple of weeks of June. And it was basically like, wow, uh, you know, we just started this firm and, and Brian was gonna be gone. I mean, he was still checking in with us occasionally, but basically Josh and I spent 20 to 22 hours together every day for 37 straight days, just trying to make sure everything, you know, everything really went as smoothly as it could possibly go. Looking back, it was total insanity, but, you know, pretty smooth, I would say. I took two days off after the June 30th deadline and then back to it for the state applications, which was another totally insane process. You know, with people, it's five, 10 pages now with some supplemental stuff. That was every bank record you have for the last five years. It was like, bank records, credit card records, you, your wife, your kids, how many cars do you have? Where, what, what are their VIN numbers? You know, every single piece of financial information to your name, I mean, just stacks 10 feet high in some cases. And they all had to be done, you know, after all these partnerships were jammed together, then that was the next 30 days putting that, you know, putting that into, into a state application, which was, you know, down at the dog track. Some people may remember it. It was a, it's now been knocked down, but it was there was people gambling on off-track betting. That was the same location <laughs> where you go turn your applications in. It was totally, right. you know, totally insane. But it was uh, well interesting. Yeah, I wonder fun. if uh, that gambling influence uh, had anything to do with how they they they've structured the applications. Oh yeah, it's totally gaming. I mean, if you look at what co- I mean, it's, a lot of people don't remember this, but their their plan was that they were going to have cameras in every grow, and those cameras would be plugged into the marijuana enforcement division's office, right? And I then they'd be sort of the watching plants grow. Well, that 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 room where they did that. All those computers are gone. There used to be like 40 computers like in a long skinny line. Those computers are gone and now it's sort of flex space or something and all the infrastructure they brought in just in terms of like, you know, bandwidth and other things to do all this totally has been rethought. So they've now gone to more of a liquor, hybrid liquor gaming world, but it's it's a lot of those guys come from gaming. So we kind of, I think a lot of our stuff is approached like gaming. So when you talk about right. ownership, what is ownership and background? Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. They're used to, you know, a lot of the background people, a lot of them came out of gaming and still do. Like Will, Will Lucella, who's number two over there, um, came in, head of licensing, uh, you know, came from gaming and Lewis came from gaming, Lewis Kosky. Um, yeah, so. all the other states have chosen to go with a, a liquor or agricultural model. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say all of them, but many of them have. Uh, it's unique that Colorado chose this method. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, in some of the other states, even though they're doing it under the ag or whatever, they're still kind of went with this. So we went with like a gaming model with no real restrictions on total numbers of licenses, whereas most states will have, you know, in some states you get like 10, there'll be like 10 gaming licenses that were issued, usually a governor right. or someone went to jail for the corruption involved in that process, wherever it was for the gaming model, you know. <laughs> um, but when you talk about regulating it, I mean, I think having a Department of Revenue regulated, the reason why it's done here. And the Department of Revenue is because they also regulate alcohol, tobacco, gaming. Right. You know, but it's interesting if you put it in ag or in health departments, 
I think that's where we've seen a lot of challenges. You know, Massachusetts, it's in their health department. And all of a sudden you got wow. like a sort of a revenue enforcement function that you really sort of, you know, you do need really cops or whatever you want to call them. They're, they're, they're enforcement, you know, police officers in Colorado. They're peace officers, so they carry guns and stuff. But you, that, that approach, as opposed to a health department, they're not used to awarding in, licenses or monitoring things that closely. Right, yeah, so of it. I, think it's a, I think it's a good setup here, and it's obviously evolved into the most, you know, really the most robust and mature regulatory environment. But a lot of that's just been <laughs> trial and error, you yeah. know. You know, the interaction between the police, the marijuana enforcement division, it's an interesting interaction with the customer or with, with the grower or the dispensary owner, because previously that was the last thing that a grower or a cannabis dealer ever wanted to see or talk to. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, right. uh, it's, it's wild, right? Because they everything was all secretive. It was about not creating all these records and, you know, other things, because those were always used against you. And now it's like you're compelled to do so. And you're working with... It, you know, law enforcement officers, like if you go to the med, they used to have the big seal ups at criminal enforcement division and all of them have guns on. And in fact, mm-hmm. it's pretty funny. You have to like, you know, test, you have to shoot every so often to recertify on, on your ability to hit a target, hit right. the, hit, we joke about the hit the broad side of a barn, you know, <laughs> and there's a couple, there's a, some funny stories that were told where guys that they really need to bring in because of their expertise had to, but they were like training them because they, they were terrible shots, you know, and they had to, they, they were compelled to carry a gun, you know? So it's a really, uh, you know, they've, for what, it, for what they've done, I think that the challenge for them is it's, a lot of people don't think about it this way, but it's the flip of what happened to growers and, and retailers and other people that weren't used to the cops. The cops weren't used to, you know, having the people that they're serving and protecting being the people that they used to go after. And in fact, they got a lot of crap from, you know, some of the other law enforcement officers that they'd previously interacted with. There were certainly times where I heard stories from these guys that were off the record, so I won't name names, but they said, look, my former colleagues won't talk to me. They, I, you know, I'm not welcome at happy hours, or if I am, all I do is take shit the whole time, and it's just not, you know, it's not the same. Because they were being shunned by the previous... Uh... Yeah, you're working for the drug dealers or something, and that was early on. I think a lot of people now have seen it as a really good career advancement opportunity, the career path being switch over to MED and then go find a private sector job. Mm. That's something I'm really interested in is like, at what point would people change their minds and decide to go another way? Now you just, you're, we're speaking right now of like time frame, uh, 2010, May and June. And at this point, the yeah. cannabis growers and the cannabis dealers decided that, Hey, I'm going the other way. Yeah. I'm going to be a legal producer. Right. Did 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 you see a flip come? Did it flip like that or was it a a slow roll, a gradual thing? I mean, there was a very, very quick move because if you had a local application in by June 30th. So if you had a local license, which very few places had Denver had retail store licenses, Boulder had some retail licenses, no grow licenses in Denver, anything like that. No MIPS. But if you had an application for a local license in by June 30th, you were allowed to continue to operate until your license was ultimately acted upon by the state. Meaning you could you were in this sort of period of time, which we thought would take a couple of months, ended up taking a year or more, sometimes mm-hmm. two years for people to be actually be issued their licenses because there's such a huge backlog. Right. But that was a flip. And like, you know, basically everyone, I think a lot of people saw it. Most people, I think, tried to get into the regulated space. You know, I think some people didn't find their way in. But the people that were doing well selling with backpack, you know, going around with backpacks. And obviously the right. problem was if you had a felony, you, you could were make out. It in. Right. And so that right. that was, uh, you know, looking back. 
There was no way this would have changed, and we've tried to change it ever since, but that was a huge mistake. And I think that when you look at states and countries that are doing this, like we've always said, why would you cut the people out, judge them on their character, not on their, you know, just because they got busted with a joint or even busted growing at some point in their life if it's been time or if they've, you know, if they're, they can show that they're of good moral character, you can't just cut them out forever because, like, what do you think they're going to do? They're yeah, just going to keep doing what they're yeah. what they're doing. So you cut out a bunch of people. Reform. I mean, right? that's why people go to jail. That's why we supposedly totally. have jail is reform. Yeah. And and anyone who's like really being honest about this too, you know. So just because you didn't get caught, you were rewarded by being even better at doing this illegal activity because you never got caught. Now right. that's not everybody, and it's not to say people are bad for for doing it, but it's just simply saying you're busting all the people out of the system that got caught, but all the people that didn't and that have done, you know or at least some of the people that didn't, you know, you're keeping them in. Now, again, I'm not judging that at all. I'm just saying you should just look at it for what it is, which is if you're going to try to change to a regulated market, you should be as inclusive as possible. If you look at what, you know, in California, this is such a huge issue. In Jamaica, pretty much everywhere we go, it's like, well, how do we not disrupt what has been a lifestyle or, you know, generational lifestyle? Right, sure, sure. I've heard people speak about this in Jamaica. Yep. Right, that it's uh, traditional for the Rostamans to sell cannabis openly on the street and they want to keep that aspect yeah. of distribution and you know you don't you, you got to look at these things and just not, no one size fits all every place you go there's going right. to be a different everybody's different and, everybody's yeah. different so. some states want to require organic only some states seed only right some states completely vertical integrated yep you know states like california they're really developing what appears to be a progressive marketplace mm-hmm. allowing for so many different entries in the marketplace. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a ton of opportunity in California and elsewhere. Obviously, Colorado, it's a it's a relatively small market, you know, and so, uh, you know, the, you know, we're at this sort of point now where it's a mature, I call it a mature market, you know, and it's not, I mean, there's still, compared to many other markets, it's not mature, but in terms of cannabis markets, it's mature. They, and I always joke yeah, about absolutely. how we're, we're really addressing first world regulated cannabis problems now. We're not, you know, I, I talk about pesticides. I talk about, you know, this organic certification thing, um, you know, at the state level or, you know, focusing on those types of things. And, you know, I, as I'm ta- as I'm complaining to my friends, they're like, well, I can still be busted with the joint, <laughs> you know, or I can, it's still illegal here. Your guys, you know, the issues you're going through, edibles, you know, how may, how do we regulate them? How do we make sure the kids don't eat them or what do we do to minimize accidental ingestion or minimize mm-hmm. confusion so that, you know, and this, this, this happens, I don't know, it's like a Colorado thing, but it's kind of spreading around the country now. Like when you go to a party and there's food out, it's like, wait, medicated, that, not yeah. medicated or re- recreated or not recreated or whatever, uh, you know? Yeah, so yeah. it's dealing with these sort of nuanced problems. Yeah, the edible industry really has created some unforeseen issues. I mean, yeah. we've always from existence, when I've heard about ganja brownies, I heard about the the problems with them. Oh, yeah. I accidentally ate a ganja brownie. You know, oh, we put ganja brownies out and didn't tell anybody and somebody went to the hospital. Oh, man, because, you, know, you know, there's nothing worse than over, you know, consuming edibly. You know, oh, it's like a the worst experience I've ever, one is. of the worst experiences I've ever had. Absolutely. You know, just like, make, uh, yeah, yeah, so it's like, you know, and then when you make, you bring it to a commercial level, so it goes from just like, oh yeah, I made some cookies and everyone's going to be a little bit cautious, right? It's like, well, how much did you put in or, you know, so everyone's just kind of like, there's no, you know, you start slow, you aut- automatically, you're like, I'm not going to eat five of these things, you're going to see what happens. But with the edible industry and things being so small and looking, 
you know, and frankly, tasting so good and other, you know. It's hard. It's, yeah, it's hard, hard just not to eat one. To, yeah, exactly. It's, it's not like, you know, and you're not getting them in the parking lot at Red Rocks. Right. That's um, the beauty of the the new, the smaller dosing, because previously when it started out, it was just, you know, large dosing or undetermined dosing. And totally. The five milligram dosing. Those are great because you need a few of them. and Totally. You know. I would say that that in terms of adoption by new like consumers, it's like people in my sort of age group, like the mid to late thirties that are like, man, I have two drinks and I'm like hung over at work the next day, you know, or, or whatever, but like the five to 10 milligram dose and like kind of just like makes you like loosens you up and, you know, some Absolutely. people are better at it than others, but it's not like that is you're getting one. So you can go have a bordering on psychedelic, experience or actual mean. psychedelic experience in my case actual psychedelic <laughs> yeah. experience. you know from uh from just a little bit much but it's uh you know i'd say that's where i see it you know when they talk about edibles or getting a bigger percent of the market share i think that's certainly a very interesting target the, the, the only tricky thing about it is like you have really really awesome tasting edibles that just makes me you know people have a hard time not eating, eating more one. right and so i think it's i think it is a it's just a very interesting thing to figure out and so you talk to Guys like Steve Fox, you know, when, you know, he was you, Mason, Steve, Brian, these guys that were sort of the visionaries in 04, 05 on these sort of long run campaign in Colorado to change hearts and minds about marijuana being less harmful than alcohol. It was really just smoking. You know, that's, they weren't thinking. They were just that puffing. This would, right, yeah, exactly. Like, or puffing and like, puffing weed. so between that and sort of uh, concentrates, you know, dabs, concentrates, you know, although again, I think. The concentrates market, or depends on how you, you know, sub-segment the concentrates market. You look at, uh, you know, the open and or other sort of mainstream, these ones that really came out of the gate in 2010, 11. You know, people love these. Even people yeah, that have not are, used these marijuana. These are vape pens with the vape pens, right. concentrate. With pre, pre-concentrate, usually pretty mild, right. low co- lower concentrations. Yeah, they're, 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 they're perfect for traveling, yeah. for, for light use. Yep, it's the Bud, right. I always joke about it, it's the Bud Lighter, if you're in Colorado, the Coors Light of, of weed, right? right? It takes it's like, the edge off. Yeah, it takes it's just the edge like, off. A maintenance thing too, or if you want to puff it a little bit at a at a you're at show. the bank, you've been there for a long time, yep. you know, little little <laughs> vape pit just make, makes it work. Right, exactly, man. Right. So it's a uh, you know, <laughs> slip it in your bag, right in your pen section and long meeting, you can sneak out for uh, you know, yeah. a quick uh private session. It has added a whole new meaning to I forgot my pen. I know. Right. Do you have my pen? I know. I think I've lost more than I've uh I've certainly, you know, I'm a, I'm a lighter thief and other things, but I've lost, I don't know how many of those pens, but, you know, especially friends from out of town, like, where can I get these? How many? I'll go buy every single cartridge I can. It's a very, you know, they're very popular, but they don't even know. I mean, there's so much beyond it in terms of concentrate oils and everything Absolutely. else that it's such a, but this is not things they were contemplating. You know, it was really joints, yeah. bongs, maybe. You know, the innovation like, of technology you know. due yep. to the legal market. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about concentrate techniques. Yep. Uh, the whole dab culture is really like it, it accelerated because cannabis is legal in so many places. Oh, it's fascinating. With and the it's, vape pens. It's hugely controversial. And like I always tell people when it does become controversial, I mean, we obviously just beat back this potency initiative to knock down potency on everything, edibles, concentrates, and flour to 16%, mm-hmm. like a one-size-fits-all thing. Well, obviously, that would have wrecked the concentrate market. Absolutely. But I told them, like, just because you see on TV, you know, someone or, you know, YouTube video of some kid, you know, doing dabs. And, and I'm like, look at, look at Animal House. You know, they toss Bluto, the bottle of Jack, and he chugs the whole thing. Like, I know people that use dabs that, like, it's their preferred method because it's, like, actually provides, like, a clear... 
uh, experience for them. And it's, you yeah, it's know, clear, they can actually, high. yeah. You, it's if a you, very small amount of stuff that you consume. So it's, it's totally, there's an argument that it's very healthy for you. Yeah. We get, we right? get, we get, you know, attacked for smoking. You know, if you look at really, if you look at the harms of marijuana, like health harms, the one thing that they always point to that's hard to argue with is the smoking part. Absolutely. Even though there's a lot of people saying, well, yeah, there's no studies that prove it. But like, you know, barbecuing, that's putting – like that's not good for you. There's no question that smoke going into your lungs generally is probably not the best idea. Maybe it's – you know, it does have some medicinal value, so the swelling and, you know, inflammation. But at the same time, they're always complaining to us about how it's, you know, smoking's this bad thing. It's really the only bad thing. Yet – they want to bring down potency to back to the Woodstock weed. You know, right, like this right. isn't your Woodstock weed. This is, you know, this is not what your parents used to smoke. It's like, no, because and you can smoke less of it. And like, you know, you it's one hit, better two for hits, you. it's right. better for you. Don't get me wrong. I think there's a market totally. Like, I think someone should open the. This is your parents' Woodstock weed store. Uh, oh, absolutely. You know? It's a. I don't know why mm. someone doesn't do it. Just like this is low potency stuff, and like have all the uh, all the people with the crazy expendable incomes that don't even think about. You know, they're not very price sensitive because they haven't smoked right. in a long time. You know. Yeah, there's a huge segment of cannabis consumption that hasn't even been addressed yet. Everyone in the new legal market really focuses on indoor cannabis, the strains, mm-hmm. but absolutely an import cannabis market, an exotic cannabis market, yep. uh, a, a low THC cannabis market. All of that really does exist. It just hasn't been developed yet. No, I mean, everyone thought like 20% of people smoke 80% of the cannabis, either through concentrates or, you know, flour. Yeah, and so they're, right. they're very price sensitive. It's the same thing with alcohol. But that's why we have, you know, not to say that there isn't high quality, low cost I don't want to put anyone down here, but with alcohol, there's the reason there's the Smirnoffs up to the Grey Gooses, and there's people, you know, if you look yeah, at right. wine, if you want to compare it to wine. There's a reason beer. to drink Coors Light. There right. really, it really is. Absolutely. You know? You know. It's a cool hot afternoon. You don't sure. want to get wasted. You're just having social 3.2 alcohol consumption. Exactly. No, man. And so, I mean, I think that it's, uh, you know, there's a whole untapped market of the 80% of people that smoke 20%. And if that's you, if you're those 80%, the cost is much less, you know, much less of a concern. Yeah. The current, I mean, I believe currently almost half of the revenue in Colorado is associated with concentrates. Yeah. It's wild. I don't know if that, I believe that includes edibles as well. I'm not quite sure, but yeah. And it's interesting, right? Because it's, it's hard to, to really know how much, you know, edibles or concentrates are smaller. They're easier. If you are going back to another state, because you flew in here, you know, and then you're, or you're visiting. It's, it's just so go. much, yeah, it's so much easier. And it also just doesn't look or smell as bad as the flower. So right. I think it's also, and, I, and also, I mean, that's not to put down, I think it is a good, like they can be very good products. Sometimes, you know, not my product of choice all the time, unless I know who I'm with and how much I'm getting. You know, I'm sure, again, I had a similar experience as some that the first time I did a dab, you know, and it was, uh, Oh yeah, hard Called pounding. it the thermonuclear uh, THC delivery device. Is what you know, my buddy. This was four or five years ago. He, he, uh, blew, what did this thing look me. like? It was, it was it was awesome. It was like this. He, um, my buddy Todd, he like gave me his hand blown piece that he got, and he like was like, check it out. This is how you do it. And I'm like, what the, you know, like the creme brulee torch from my parents' house, you know. And, <laughs> and this is before right. anyone was doing it. And even my like most experienced smoker friends were like, kind of I was like, tell me about is it. That? Yeah. yeah. And then I guess I just remember going up. I forget who I was seeing my morning jacket at Red Rocks. I think in like 2010 or 11. And like I just remember like my buddies that 
you know, usually loud, rambunctious, we're just like staring out the window while we're driving up to r- driving up in the van. Absolutely, just like not saying a word. For, and then finally, like an hour and a half later, my buddy's like, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen them stop, uh, especially in the early days, stop more than one party. Oh yeah, man. Right. And, oh, try this. Uh, I want, I want uh, Josh Kappel, my business partner. I'm sure he'll hate me for telling it, but it, we were oh, we'll the first him. time he ever did it. You should ask him about his first <laughs> first time because he took like a milky, milky two foot bomb. Like, oh he had no idea what he was doing, and it was yeah, at, right. It was at a party. Overdose the was clinic. rampant early. This years. was like the clinic's Christmas party with like the cannabis cut winning. You know, whatever. And I remember, I remember seeing his eyes. Like he didn't go down, but he's like. I won't be talking anymore. Like, you know, <laughs> please point me in the direction of home. Oh, yeah, right. I remember the first time it really worked on me. I, I just had this mantra in my my head. I'm a professional. I can handle this. <laughs> right. And I said that for about 30 minutes as people walked around me in my kitchen as I had a party. Right. I'm a professional. I can handle this. He seems cool. He doesn't, uh, yeah. <laughs> He's totally together in your, in your mind. Like, oh, boy, play right. cool. Well, hey, let's, ha- let's have a break right there. Hey, this is The Real Dirt with Chip Baker. I'm here with uh, my friend Christian. We're talking about cannabis. All right, and we're back. This is Chip Baker with The Real Dirt, and we're rolling it up with <laughs> Christian Cedarberg from Vicente Cedarberg. As at the break, I was thinking about when I started working with you guys, and I think it was around 2013, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah, it was like right at the end of 2013 or something, right before retail cannabis 2014 when they legal right before the stores actually opened right before the stores actually opened when they legalized it for adult use yeah right those were uh, some really exciting times right there business wise i know you guys were just had had tons of uh, <laughs> uh projects going on going into legal cannabis uh um everybody wanted to get in it and that was their opportunity to, to do it yeah right? it was uh you know right after the law passed the Obviously, it took a year and a couple of months to get the stores open, but that legislative session uh, was really an interesting time. So the existing industry, or at least the, the representatives at the capital of the existing industry, were really pushing hard for keeping vertical integration and putting a much longer, you know, keeping or increasing the length of the residency requirement, uh, things that were really not a part of Amendment 64. One of the problems with vertical integration from, you know, from the medical days was, well, one, there was a lot of people that should never have been partners in the first place. Mm, The people that were already vertically integrated really did push that law initially, the medical law. So, you know, so against vertical integration at first and then it just changed. Well, it's, it's like, it's one of those, you know, I was joking with Charlie in my office. He was against the residency requirement until his one year anniversary on Tuesday. Right. You know, he's like, I don't mind the one year requirement. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, no one does when it benefits you. I mean, I personally, I'm just a, I very much believe in free markets and like that doesn't mean I realize totally regulated can you know, it's heavily regulated in other things, but any types of inefficiencies you put in in terms of limiting stores, limiting the number of girls, requiring things that other businesses, agriculture businesses, technology right, businesses don't have to deal with, like what you end up doing is hurting yourself and hurting competition. Right. One of the, you know, even though I can again first world marijuana problems, you know, yeah. we're going through it was, this. It, and I was against it too in those early days, but it ended up being really good to some degree because yeah. it allowed this natural organic growth of the industry without all these pressures of outside money or just stupid yeah. investors. Oh yeah. You, know, you I had mean, to be a resident, you had to you know, follow some sort of decorum to get it there. 
Well, and the big thing for us too is that when when we were doing the task force, the governor's task force, the recommendation was three years more of vertical integration, and you know, basically another increasing residency requirements. And they ended up staying the same, this two-year Colorado residency requirement. But that sort of discussion debate, they wanted three years of vertical integration. I said I'd be fine with one, meaning like really only let the people that have been in the business in Colorado that have proven themselves that we know, you know, that the regulators know, that know what it takes to run these businesses. Don't just throw the doors wide open on January 1st, 2014. You know, it made sense to transition into something so what we ended up doing is, you know, it was January 1st, 2014, first sales were going on. And then, you know, January 1st, 2015, basically, was when uh, the first independent cultivators uh, started, you know, coming online, meaning... Wholesale. Yeah, wholesalers, um, which has still been, it's developed quickly in some cases, but it's not developed. It's a lot harder of a business. A lot of these people just said, oh, I'll just come in and grow. Right. Farming's and, hard. Yeah, you know, I'll just drop right. the price and, you know... I'll, Eliminate all that overhead. I'll make we, millions. <laughs> no, exactly. Like everyone, right. everyone that's ever sat in our office, obviously, is the best grower. And, you know, in college, mm-hmm. they did this. And they, of course, I can scale it. You know, they don't realize it's really being, having the talents of a master grower. Okay, a lot I, of it's I, HR. I, you know, I'm starting to realize it too at a firm as it grows. It's, you know, it's the ability to manage people, human resources. And absolutely. like, you know, it, it's not. You're just a really good grower. The other problem being that everyone just thinks they're a really good grower. And there's not mm. that many. There's a ton of really good growers, but there's, you know, it's not everybody. Let's just right. let's just leave it at that. So, you know, and then you have people <laughs> traditional agriculture, right? Traditional ag, and I'm going to bring in some scientists, and I'm going to really bring a science approach. Yeah. And, right. You know, and again, what happens is the, the way you finance <laughs> these things, it's difficult. The way, you know, it's hard to keep good people. You know, it's, it's tough work. It's not easy. It's, it sounds glamorous, but it's not the... Most glamorous job a lot of times, and particularly as it's getting more and more boring, it's less underground, you know? Yeah, it's farming. It's farming. And, you know, when, one of the things that brought people to cannabis cultivation was it could be this part-time job for them, mm-hmm. and they could have another life or career or pursue their own dreams of travel or acting or art, or photography, whatever it might be, car restoration. Yep. You know, and uh, uh, that's honestly a different type of person than than works – on a farm or works in a horticultural environment on a day-to-day Absolutely. basis, eight hours a day, 10 hours a day. Yeah. And I it's, mean, yeah, I mean, it's a, it sort of becomes like a lot of other stuff where if you want to start in one of these big regulated businesses and you start as a junior person, you got to work your way up and eventually maybe yeah, you right. get to be that person. It's a lot more, you know, it's, it's more corporate in some ways. That being said, I mean, because of the fact there's so much new business opportunities, it's very entrepreneurial, you know? So the people Absolutely. that are working there, a lot of them are working there so they can figure it out and then go start their own thing. And so, right. you know, that's a little bit, it, not every kid that graduates and goes to an accounting firm is like, I'm going to start my own accounting firm, or, mm-hmm. you know? Because it's not too late. You can still Absolutely. you can still be involved in this industry. You can still literally invest or come to Colorado or move to one of the other states, yep. you know, and, and, and be involved in it. Yeah, sure. And so, you know, and... Colorado in particular, we just passed a law finally sort of not completely getting rid of the two-year residency requirement, which for, you know, until January 1st, 2017, so coming up here, until that point in time, everyone, in order to be an owner or to share in profits, even if you're a landlord and you want, you know, to charge your tenants rent, but also take 10% of gross or net, that's a huge number. But, you know, this is what shopping centers do all the time. This is how 
you know, you get, yeah, exactly. And you, you know, you add in a revenue sharing component. That means you had to be a resident of Colorado for two years, go through all this licensing stuff. If you weren't a resident or if you had a felony or any of these other things, you were out. Um, this was lot, initially called the Snoop Dogg bill. Yeah, the, uh, well, there's the Snoop Dogg uh, provision, which is the, the reasonable royalty. So, yeah, so now you don't have to be a resident to be an owner. You don't have to live here. or you. Yeah, no, you don't have to live here. Now, if you, you want to be the person here. in you know, the responsible party, um, and they reduce the residency requirement to a year. So without getting into too many of the gory details, you can have limited investments. Once you have an out-of-stater, it limits the total number of people you can have as your sort of investors and owners. So it's, I think the idea is they don't want publicly traded companies, which are explicitly not allowed, nor do they want 400 people chipping in $10,000, you know, and then have to deal with that regulatory thing. So they limit it to like 15 people, but there's beyond that, again, without getting into the gory details, you can be a passive investor or even an active investor. You could live in another state and, you know, vote on the, you know, the, what the company's going to do, what the board of directors looks like. <laughs> Much more traditional, you know, from a policy standpoint, I think it actually creates the 50-state strategy for federal, you know, fundamental change to the federal law, which is when this a lot of this is really going to take off. But, uh, you know, now if we got a guy who lives in Alabama that's invested in the marijuana industry, you know, Alabama's not coming around anytime soon, particularly if that person happens to be a high net worth person, particularly if that person knows United States senators or mayors or governors or their right, local city council people. This right, is this is a way. Board. Yeah, everyone. This can this makes it so at least so people get involved and it's no longer, you know, just uh, what's Colorado and Washington doing and mm-hmm. California might do it. Nor you know, I mean, it's it's less of a people from all over the world have come here to do this. Oh yeah, man, and that, you know, it's amazing to me. The that we've toured. I don't know how many people from around the world in terms of federally elected officials in other countries, you know, senators from multiple South American countries, from, you know, European uh, countries, from South American countries, uh, African countries. I mean, every single, you know, I mean, there's a few, a few exceptions that are just so anti-cannabis, you know, that they're not coming here or even interested. But we had people, they're like, oh, we're not going to change our laws anytime soon, but we just want to see what it looks like. You know, and then they come in and we actually <laughs> formed, yeah, sad. we actually formed a nonprofit just to facilitate these tours. You know, we just had, what's, um, that, what, uh, what's that called? It's called the Council on Responsible Cannabis Regulation. Oh, CRCR. Sure. I've, I've, I've seen that, but I didn't quite know what yeah, it was. Yeah, we toured it, you know, it started with, 50 people coming in for the Drug Policy Alliance conference in 2013. And I just did not, I put this whole tour together. I rented buses and had my staff running it. And we just, you know, went so well that we decided we'd formalize it, but create a nonprofit just to make it easier on us to sort of direct people to that. You know, hopefully have my partners not say, what you, how much time are you spending driving who around, you know? So we, we staffed it. Um, <laughs> Chloe's amazing and Steve Fox works on it. But, you know, we've had... I think it's 22 countries, something like that. And as recently as last week, we had several we had Caribbean you, nations in town. And so what, what goes on on one of these tours? We actually just facilitate meetings with the governor's office, meetings with the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, I meetings see, with city political council. Tour. Yeah, but then also facility tours, right? right? Okay. They do the political part, but then it's like also we get to go see it. And so, uh, you know, some of the higher quality – I mean, many high-quality businesses in Denver, but some of the operations that we know – are very notch. much yeah we want to we want to sort of showcase the uh, the regulatory system but also the people because it's it you it's amazing when you you know we had forty seven of the fifty largest cities in America their city attorneys came and we did a, an event where we did this exact thing so it wasn't foreigners it was you know uh, U S you know U S attorneys 
city attorneys. And these, you know, by the by the end of the tour of the 47, I think, you know, Andrew in our office had flipped the, uh, you know, several northern states from the, they were like pretty much taking the, what I call the smart Colorado, smart mom approach. You know, no, no way we're having marijuana legal in our city or state. And right. next thing you know, they're like, this has been great. You know, you've changed, you've literally changed my mind. And oh, that's incredible. Because they see it and they're like, wow, this is jobs. This is like it's, real people. And people, when they, when people who aren't involved with it, don't smoke cannabis, haven't used it, they're affected by all those years of war on drugs. And when they see that it's this beautiful little green plant and all the economy and yeah. that everybody that they see involved with aren't the stereotypical stoners. Right. I mean, on most days, you couldn't pick me and you out as a stereotypical stoner. We're not, no. right? Yeah, it's, I, uh, people, you know, it's kind of funny because it's like, you know, we, we always, we call it a lack of social empathy. You know, they're people, it's like all the people that hate us, the, you know, hate us the most are, they're, they're like, you know, this is such a bad thing for Colorado or the country, you know. They're doing so at a cocktail party, you know, drinking mm-hmm. a substance right. that is clearly worse. But, but again, and I'm gonna... I'm a drinker. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not I'm not judging that. But like, this this concept that they have in their mind that you know, pot, dope, whatever you want to call it. Like, you know, they were just raised thinking it makes you stupid. It makes you, you know, they picture every one of us as the wino and the classic stereotypical right. wino in the street, you know. Oh, man. Right. Over, man. And, you know, look, we haven't helped ourselves all the time. You know, mm-hmm. it's at certain times, some of the people that are the most outspoken or the least, uh, you know, the, the most stereotypical like that perhaps. But, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, as things are changing, you know, I was having a, a, a Drinks with its uh, a city <laughs> official who shall remain nameless, but is a very high level marijuana a, person. Yeah. Okay, and uh, you know Denver or Colorado. Yep, he, he or she was telling me, you know, Christian, this is you. Do you watch Bad Men? And this is a fad. You know, this is really this is you know this is someone who is very involved at the state and local level of regulating cannabis. And it's like, you know, they're sitting there smoking cigarettes and drinking and, you know, this is a fad. Like, look at cigarette smoke. It went away. You know, I think in, I think in 25 years, we all think that, you know, this marijuana fad, it was hot for a little while and it'll still be around. But, it, you know, and I was like, man, you were totally, your, your analogy is totally correct, except for that the fad was in that scenario is alcohol. Like in the future, and maybe cigarettes too, but, you know, but I mean like the the – replace the cigarette with a joint and take the alcohol out of their hand or you look at some of the products that are being developed in terms of recreating similar experiences to alcohol, you know, through recombining, you know, different cannabinoids and terpenes and, uh, you know, making it so there's like a healthy alternative so that when I'm at the bar in 15, 20 years, I'm looking up and it's how many of those bottles will have alcohol in them and and am I going to be the cigar smoker, you know, that's like obnoxious to everyone because I'm still drinking my, you know, makers and Tito's, you know, or are these companies right. going to come around and say, look, these won't kill people. And like, we can actually reduce alcohol consumption, increase the amount of quality fun that people have, you know, and you enjoy wine for the taste. You're not drinking six glasses, you know, I mean, it's just a, it's a very interesting future that they don't get, you know, cause they just don't see it. And again, it's a lot of it really is like, I smoked pot in college and it made me tired or paranoid. I no. smoked it once. I had a bad experience. And I think most of them didn't because anyone who's in politics, you know, until relatively recently, you weren't allowed to smoke and become a politician. So sure. if they had any designs on that, they- It's uh, just their excuse to say right. why they don't do it now. Right. But there, you know, there's a few exceptions. We have, uh, you know, interestingly, uh, Representative Garnett has said it in, you know, who's a state representative here. He's like one of the few people. He's like, I think I'm the only person who acknowledges 
being a cannabis consumer, like a recreational mm-hmm. cannabis consumer in elected office. Like, I don't know how many There's there not are. too many people right? like and that his dad's in the world. A, his dad's a district attorney at Boulder, you know, and he was a supporter of the campaign. And, you know, he's a great kid. He's, and he's actually was one of the ones that was really brought up this potency issue and got really hammered by a lot of the industry folks saying you shouldn't have raised this issue. And it's I'm, I'm like, wow, that's the only guy or girl in, you know, elected office that's admitting to being a cannabis consumer and like kind of says the exact, like proves our point and, you know, yet politics gets in the way. But, you know, that's yeah. neither here nor there. You know, yeah. it's like hey, a... Judges smoke it, even the lawyers too. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, man, like doctors, that's the other thing that's really interesting about the markets, right? Like my friends that are lawyers, they don't want to be seen in stores. You know, they just never know who they're going to see there. And it's not because yeah. mm-hmm. like, so they're still getting it the old fashioned way from right. someone with a medical card. Right. <laughs> because then there's no taxes. <laughs> it's funny that that's the old-fashioned someone, way now, right? In someone's living room. <laughs> right. right. Hey, could you pay me up a stack at the medical store today? I, yeah, my, my friend that smokes <laughs> probably the most weed, but he's like the most paranoid about people finding out about it in terms Isn't of like... interesting? Yeah, he still gets it from our buddy. He used to buy it. I and mean, he had to get him, you know, I think the two of us were the only two with medical cards. And I can't remember how many calls I would get. You know, hey, man, if you're going to the store, would you... You know, pick this or that up. And like, you know, I've still got friends that would will ask people to go do it because they don't want to go. They're like, well, they try to take my ID and they try to scan it or something. It's I, don't like, want, I don't want to know that, that was in there. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's, you know, so I think that that whole market too, I mean, if you, uh, you know, older people also feel very intimidated when they go into stores. They're like, they're walking in, they're like, what are all it's these all strains and like all these kids, you know, and it's like, you know, I remember some guys like, and this kid has this, you know, perfectly flat baseball brim on his hat and was talking to me about things I didn't even know what he was talking about. And I just said, I just wanted to experience it, but I ended up not buying anything because I didn't want to look stupid. I'm like, well, that's mm-hmm. not good. You know, that's mm-hmm. like the consumer experience is going right. to gonna fundamentally change. change. And I think that's a huge unaddressed market, as I mentioned before. But The you bud know, tenders, the education, all that's just so new. Yeah, well, what I love about it, too, I love, you know, all the people that are coming in now. We have people coming from other states. You know, we still aren't allowing non-citizens that are not, you know, if you're a non-citizen and you're not a permanent resident here, like a green card holder, right, you, you, you can't. can't invest in the in the car industry. But, like, that still has widened it so much. And people that have come and, you know, of course, there's been people that have said, yeah, it's way stronger than I expected and had, a you know, not the greatest experience. But for every one of them, uh, you know, these guys that – Navin smoked since Woods, literally like since Woodstock and some other stuff. Like, stories, uh, you know, right. it's, it's great, man. And like, it is a healthy thing. Like, you know, if it, and if it helps people just like drink a little bit less, if it's one or two or three drinks less a week, it's literally over time will, you know, shift the cost curve when they talk about healthcare. So the future is yeah, that's like a great it, way to look at it. Uh, right. Absolutely. The future is very bright for this, you know, for this industry, this product for sure. But, you know, we're still working out the kinks. I mean, you still can't just invest in it like it was, you know, a, a good investment. It's you have to jump through a lot of hoops and background checks and other things. And, you know, but it's a huge and fundamental change here. So I think anyone who's interested in the opportunity for cannabis, you know, I wouldn't necessarily recommend coming here and starting your own brand new business, doing something that's not, you know, everyone should create a better mousetrap. Always go for that. But like, you know, it's like if I, I always tell it people. It is like, hard to start financially right now. Oh, though. it's a like huge, it, there's it's huge so barriers to entry. right now. Yeah. And it's like, you know. Rents are high. And anyone coming in, like, you're really going to, if you're going to come in and just start to grow, like, you better really know what you're doing and have a way to differentiate your product or develop relationships. So you're going to be able right. to sell your product. I'm not saying you can't do it, but I don't think it's that easy to do because a lot of people are doing it at a very high level. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right about that. It's, you know, I talked to uh, Justin Jones with Dank, and he said they started Love out Justin. with $1,000 yeah. and two grow lights. 
right? It's it's and, lo- and look where they're at today. I mean, they've got multiple ancillary businesses, yep. a dispensary, Cush uh, bottles, Denver Consulting. I'm probably forgetting a couple of things. Yeah, those guys are great. I yeah. love their. They're some of my favorite people. Because they did something similar, you know, we did something similar in our law firm, you know, we didn't have to come, we came in and we were, there wasn't that many options and, you know, but we still worked, worked hard and, you know, maintain relationships, reputation, do whatever you can. But it'd be hard just to break into this space, you know, and any of these big law firms that are doing it. If you look at, you know, there's a bunch of stories like you just described of that, the fortunate few that were able to start at the beginning where everything is just like, file this application and you can get going. It was, that was before they even did People are like certificates of occupancy. What's that? You know, yeah, and like, nobody was you, following any. Rules. Yeah, I remember. Ah, I remember the days because you know like, that's honestly. Although, the re- remember another lights had UL listings and like. Oh that? yeah, like, oh, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> everybody had to come and buy new lights. I remember <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. Is that absolutely. you behind that? <laughs> I, I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> of course like, you didn't. It was because building departments don't want fires. Like yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a reason why you don't have UL listing because it was never a commercial, never intended right. for it was for basements. And, you know, and you know. It, Cannabis industry has gotten they, there's been a focus, a magnifying glass put on them because so many other industries, businesses, they don't have to necessarily follow the letter of the law. Oh, when you go right? when you go in, and I mean, I used to do a bunch of commercial industrial leasing. Like they would not go in and have all these inspections. No, like, fire we, department's not going to care. Yeah, the certificate. Right? Of, it, it was more just like random inspections occasionally or other things for fire, but there'd be people who go 20, 25 years without ever having an inspection. Yeah, absolutely. And they would have converted it from a storage warehouse to a, you know, a, a much more industrial use, a change of what we call occupancies, right? And like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And right. I mean, for us, you can't even get your license and operate. You used to actually be able to get your licenses before you had your certificates of occupancy. Remember that? Right, yeah, yeah. Now people you can't even operate. So you think of it, it's like six to 10 to 12 months before you can, of, of money out the door before right. you can start operating. And that makes sense, honestly, but it's, you know, it's it's tough. Well, it's similar to other know. industry, other manufacturing, similar. Yeah, if you're if you're if you're manufacturing something at a high level, there's going to be inspections, right? right? They're going to come in and look at your equipment because, and also, if you don't have that happen and someone gets hurt, you're going to yeah. you're probably going to prison. You know, no, you're or, at least uh, getting you know. sued. You're definitely going to. And we, your you know, here we are policy. using lights that you know got extension cords all over the place and flammable <laughs> materials and. We're blowing butane through glass tubes. And again, I'm not judging any of this. You it know, this really, was that back in the day. It, was, it changed everything, though, because it, it changed it from that extension cord culture. Yep. It changed it from I'm using my uh, my brother-in-law who's not an electrician but knows how to do this. Yeah. And now we're seeing some real innovation, real technology, grow rooms that look like commercial, you know, uh, a butcher places or yep. a commercial lab. Totally. Like it's, 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 it's really done a lot for the industry. The regulation's been Good to some degree on that aspect. I, I think it has. It really has raised the level, and it'll be interesting to watch in other states as it, as they move from an unregulated or semi-regulated market. You know how much we can take from and make the growing pains less, you know, severe because you won't get blindsided by stuff. But it's it's a fundamental change. You know that doesn't mean that obviously outdoor cultivation is different. You know it's when you're you know it's right. gonna, it's not going to change operationally. Farming. It shouldn't change that much. Pesticides being the big. Uh, you know, challenge for a lot of people, you know, and you have, you know, the inability to use things that would otherwise we all know be safe, but for the lack of federal, you know, labeling, federal labeling stuff, like that's challenging. 
Like, it is. Yeah, you know, and it, and it doesn't mean it can't be done, but I mean, besides, you know, it's, it's growing inside that people are doing, cause you're always trying to, you weren't always trying to hide, but you're trying to keep a low profile. Mm-hmm. You weren't, of course, you know, you, why would you, you couldn't go get a certificate of Gotta occupancy. Get, right, like, hey, right, would you come right. check out my, my cultivation facility that's quasi legal? Right, exactly. I mean, it's just, it just didn't work. You know, that the translation of those two, I think is one of the hardest, if not the hardest transition you know, for people that have to actually work in a highly also brought in world. all these people who had, who ended up with 10, 20, 30,000 square feet of manufacturing space with no manufacturing background. None. So of course they did almost everything wrong. Right. Right. Totally, man. It's like, you know. <laughs> right. So, oh, we can't block that door. Oh, we have to have uh, safety. It's like, well, that's how people here. get oh, out uh, when there's a fire. Yeah. there's We can't use that stairway. Uh, yeah. It's funny, though, too, because like we, I, I've, you know, was meeting with people talking about, you know, it's like listening to people in the industry, too, that are now have learned all these things. But like, it's just ridiculous that, you know, the fire department comes and they say you need this door here. And then the police department comes and say you can't have this thing unlocked. And and I was like, guess what, guys? Now it sounds like my old job because that's always been – it's, you know, it's yeah, they, there's awesome. always discrepancies between them and any industry. So you got people who became very sophisticated at complying, but they don't know that they're actually now being treated fairly. You know, for a while mm-hmm. it seemed like they were being picked on and they were. But now it's like, no, you're actually just being treated like everyone else. Like it, this, this is what happens when – you have to go through fire inspections yeah. and certain things, yeah. you know. When I mean, you just, have a fire, you get in trouble. <laughs> right, right, exactly. You're not being picked on for, uh, you know. You just don't know what you're doing. Being, right? being uh, yeah, you, you know, you really should not be using, like, you know, combustible pressurized gas in a non you know, right. near a Non-ventilated. Stove. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like these, these types of things were just, you know, um, the way they were done. I mean, that's what happens. I mean, that's, if you look at, you know, the point of regulation and other things, it is to, it's not to just cut out the small guy or a lack of, right. you know, non-sophisticated people. It does end up doing that a lot of time. There's but plenty of small people safety. in the industry. Though. Yeah. That's true. Right. I want to, yeah. cause that's a myth people say all the time is like, Oh, big business is going to take over. It's only big players. It's like, no, there's tons of small people. Yeah. And this whole, this. like, you know, the wall, there is no Walmart of weed yet. Maybe there will be, but yeah. like, I think that it's actually kind of it ebbs and it flows, and I think we're looking at a point now where you have overproduction in Colorado to the to the extent that people are going to have to start differentiating on quality, even at the lower levels. I think you right. are going to have good. right. It is. It ultimately yeah. is good for a I while. Saw this just like crank in, it out, right? right. I saw know? this happen in Northern California too. As soon as the uh, uh, volume reached so high that that the price dropped low, people started growing higher quality product yeah. to, bra- to raise their price. And it raised the overall general price as well. But it yeah. took that dive in the market and then people figuring out, okay, how, do, how other people are getting paid. How do well, I get paid? July 2016, you know, we're seeing a point where we're dropping below a thousand dollars a pound. Right. I, I have heard I haven't read, but I heard that we were at seven fifty. And that would have been, yeah, that's another that's another couple ten, twenty percent from even last week that I've I've heard the same thing. And again, this is partly because I mean, people are just coming online with a lot of stuff and we'll see. I mean, think about the end of the summer. Think about mm-hmm. after Pueblo harvest and some of the outdoor right. harvest Lots type of outdoor stuff. Harvest coming in. But again, I think a lot of it gets turned into oil or did this year. I mean, I think, you know, people are like, Well, I'll just keep dropping the price. I'm like, Well, you don't own. That's the tricky thing about vertical integration and a transition from a vertically integrated market to a non-vertically integrated market. Most of the big players. I mean, there is not one big player that is a purely retail store concept. Every one of the big players is a retail store with their own grow. Right. Absolutely. You know. But I look at them like, look, look at Whole Foods. You know, they have all of their three sixty-five 
organic products, They're literally like almost everything next to everything, but yeah. they still carry other people's brands. Like I think that's the way the market goes, you know, over right. time because I don't necessarily want to go to a store. It would be nice if I could go to a store where I could, you know, have the five top brands available to me. You know, I don't go to the liquor store. They're, you know, yeah, I go right. to the, if you go to the brew pub, you can buy some growlers of that particular type of beer, but they even have someone else's beer there. You right. know, they have partnerships Absolutely. with their Absolutely. friends. Tap right? rooms. Look at exactly. tap rooms. And so I think, you know, people, you know, people are not just always going to want to go where you, ha- you control every product. And I think you see it in the products that are on the, the shelves. That's where you see, that's a differentiation, right? Okay, we got our bud and it's good, it's bad, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's whatever. Yeah, but like then you also have, well, I can go there and I'm buying, I'm going there to buy maybe some of the products you have on your shelves, new products, you know, MIPS products or vape pens or whatever. And while I'm there, I'm going to buy some of your stuff. Right. I mean, there still are people that they go, people go there for their weed and maybe they don't buy any products or they pick up something. But I think a lot of people too, they're just going in to see what's there. And check out products, you know. Yeah, you know, as, as a as a as a business person and and a successful marketer, I look at a lot of that. You know, the branding on this stuff you, on the hard goods like the vape pens mm-hmm. or the edibles, like that type of branding is working, yeah. right? And and people go buy open or uh, a, a specific cannabis food, yep. you know, and and the branding on that's working. The branding that I haven't seen work yet is on the actual flowers, yeah. on the cannabis. Right now, people have tried to start some buddy brand and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can't think of any more off the top of my head. But they, I don't think they understand the concept of, like, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to make a brand of weed and sell it, right? Like, it, it needs to be something different, something special. No, I mean, I, right? I think that if you have, like, stores that have reputations for having very high-quality weed, you know, they, yeah. that that's how you right. get your, like— yeah, yeah, the you store know, over, has the quality, but then that's not the brand. Right. That's that's the thing yeah, I'm but talking the, the about. The brand is mixed with the store, right? The, right and there's right, not, you right. know, so they haven't cuz the store right now they're just picking out the highest quality weed or trying to grow the highest quality weed. Sure. Right? And it, it's it currently today, uh, July 2016, you can't go to a wholesale supplier that's the best in one product. It's no. currently not like wine. Nope. Where you're like, okay, you know that whole region grows the best Pinot, so we get all our juice yep. from, you know, that uh, juicery, right, yep. to make Pinot. I think that, uh, I, th- I think wine is just, perhaps it's the our timing here too with, with Northern California and Oregon, you know, being these, you know, wine uh, really meccas for the United right. States, yeah. but um, particularly Northern California, I mean, wine, wine you know, it's like we've been regulating the grapes is what I always tell people for a while too. It's, and it, this applies not just to the market, but to the regulations as well. We regulate grapes instead of regulating wine, you know? And I think that we started moving towards regulating the wine, right? We are like, every gram needs to be tracked from seed to sale. Like, yes, it Same does. Thing. Or you can just take big picture, make sure most of it's getting through the system, if not all of it. But you don't get distracted with small leakage, right? And then <laughs> when you when you move into the market stuff, I mean, people buy grape juice from those regions, but then they produce things, you know, and they'll be... Uh, wine brands that they develop, but they can't call themselves a Sonoma County, you know, brand uh, because they're right. not actually manufactured and located there, right? Right, and, right exactly. And exactly. so I think those types of things where, you know, areas are going like to become, models. yeah, they're going to become, yeah, and that's what they're doing a ton of in California. That's going to be serve them very well when the time comes to, to export that to is other a brand, countries. That is a branding that, that I feel like can survive is the Appalachian brand, even, even though... It, it still goes back to the strains yeah. like the, and the grower. 
right? Well, that's the other thing too is like, you know, cavern. I like Cabernets. I mean, you can see some of the similarities. Like I like this particular type of, you know, this family of strains. The problem is most people aren't educated on what those families of strains are. And if you actually look at red wine too, most of them are not 100% Cabernet, 100% Merlot, 100%. I mean, a lot of the, they're, they're, blends. they're blends. So when people start doing proprietary blends, and I'm of the opinion that people are going to still be smoking joints and other things over time. Like, I, I'm, I'm actually not one of the people that just thinks it's, it's all going all edibles and vape I don't think so stuff, either. You know? I think people are going to continue to smoke flour. Yeah, yeah. So if someone's really good, like you think about winemaking, you know, you got the John, what's his name? Jonathan Swift or whatever the guy's name that does like the prisoner. And he's like, he's sort of like this rock star winemaker guy. And I was just thinking about, you know, he knows how to blend things uh, intelligently. So I know guys that are doing similar things with cannabis. Like they're saying, you know, I can go out and I don't need, I can walk into another market and find three or four strains that are similar enough to the things that I do. And I've got my blends for my pre-rolled joints or other things and make high quality things. Like, and it's more like high end. It's not, everyone's like, Oh, Marlboro greens. No, like this is like Monte Cristo type stuff, right? This is not absolutely or high end cigars, right? Or the, or the, you know, the brand, like the cigarillos or whatever you want to call them, like the Nat Sherman's or the other things. Right. So we're like, I look at it as that. I don't just want a pack of 20 parliament, joints like i want a you know a a nice blended experience now sure someone's going to want the black you know the the cools or whatever the you know insert branding but those are all proprietary blends of tobacco too right exactly but i think right now people are people are focusing on the strains they're they're brand you know they're just talking about their strains what the people don't remember what store it was from a lot of times i was like oh it was an og kush or it was a you know Something or other, although ask they want to ask like what right. store and what strain because like you and I both know how different those things are. I think sure. I think smart people are going to start coming up with proprietary blends or even start calling their brands of cannabis something that's not really you know the parentheses below is like mix of these two, not you know branded as those two, you right. know. And so right. over time, that's gonna I think that'll start to. Uh, you know, be put into the market a little bit more. Super connoisseurs are going to be super connoisseurs, but I just no think the way what, we talk that's about it. just a it, small percent of us. I know. And that's the thing is like, you know, you got to address this bigger market and what wine has done very well. And I hate to keep coming back to wine because there's a lot of differences too, but. No, it's, I think it's a great indicator. But with species. wine, it's like, it's, it's about when you go to a wine store, the best wine stores are not the ones where you feel uncomfortable. They're the ones where they come right. in and say, what do you like? Well, let me, we should try this or these other things. Like they're very, they might know a ton about wine, but they're very approachable. You don't become right. a, when you become the sommelier, you know, when you go up the sommelier world, it's a lot about customer service and knowledge and, you know, the way you interact with people. And, like, you know, you don't go to a, a place with a master sommelier will be there just impressing you with his, like, wit, knowledge, sense of humor. He'll womanize someone at the table. You know, it's like a – it's a whole cultural thing. It's not just, like, <laughs> I know so much more about this and I'm rolling my eyes because you don't understand what I'm talking about. And I'm not trying to put – the vast majority of people I see at stores, like they do just fine, but a lot of times they just speak over or they they don't even realize what they're doing. And like the worst, the worst is when someone's like, well, I ate 40 milligrams. So start with 30 or 20, you know, or something like that. Like when it should be like, start with like start five, with you know? Yeah. Five. You know? Yeah. Five. I think it's like start very the... few people have a bad experience. Like one out of 20, 10, you're going to get more into the like, you know, one out of 10, right. like, it's going to be one guy in the group's like, well, that was too much. Or even, you know, <laughs> like I'm a five milligram and then move my way up. Cause like, I'm not, you know, don't get me wrong. There's times where maybe I'm more than that, but like, I like that small, you know, five to 10 milligram initial sort of dose go out, laugh, you know, 
augment later on with some of these proprietary blends we're talking about. Yeah, right. right. Wow, this sounds like a great future we're talking about. (laughs) Man, can you, do you have a prediction, a future prediction? Hmm. Can you you predict something for me? I want to come back in several years and say, Christian, you called it. Yeah, well, you know, my my prediction and my hope is something I said earlier, which is, uh, you know, that in the future... Many of the alcohol products that we see and like that that experience will be replaced with um, with cannabis. And you know, that social experience doesn't need to be, you know, you're walking into a smoke smoky environment or a bunch of vaporizers are around or anything else. I mean, literally, you know, the distilled cannabis concept that Ebu and a number of other folks have talked about, this is something I've been thinking about since the beginning is literally replacing uh, you know, a good chunk of the of the alcohol market with these products or augmenting them again. Sure. A I different choice. I, you know, I don't want to choice. declare war on big alcohol. Be good. Yeah, you know, but I think over time, like glass of rye is fine. Yeah, man. Look, I'd love to go drink, you know, one or two glasses and pay a lot more for that bottle of wine or that glass of whiskey. Yeah. When it's great. For what sure. is the whiskey library in Portland? I don't know if you've ever been there. It's like, no, it sounds man, great, like every whiskey in the world and you can have like, it's like a two drink oh maximum. Gosh. You know, and so what you could do is you have this, like, much just a different sort of experience. You know, um, what I don't see in the future is standalone sort of cannabis smoking and drinking establishment, you know, that are separate but equal. You know, I, I see this being more integrated into You think we're going to allow to have social smoking? Yeah, it's going to happen eventually, if not through this ballot initiative process and, you know, the coming up here. There's going to be two probably most likely on the ballot but uh, in Denver. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's just, you know— First of all, it's been going on. It's weird at Red Rocks now, right? Like you have to go like out to the side. To oh, smoke I know. Is it, I know. Isn't like, that odd? They're like, you got to go to the smoking section. Right. And so you're standing out there in front of everybody that's walking by. Security's like, no, they go over the smoking section. <laughs> I know. It's pretty It's pretty funny. Although I've had a couple of times where it's, they're like, is that a cigarette? And like, nope. They're like, okay. And they keep going, you know. But now they're, you know. But it, yeah, I mean, t- times are changing. You know, I think uh, marijuana will be federally deregulated. First term of Hillary Clinton's, uh, you know, first first year or so of Hillary Clinton's second term, if she gets elected, you know, if not, uh, Trump gets elected, it'll probably be legal by January twentieth, two thousand seventeen, because they'll have to uh, find a way not to roll all of the federal, you know, marshals into all these states and pry the joints from our hands like Chris Christie. Yeah, you right, know, right, right. That's never do. happened. It's never going back. We I know. Everyone, everyone thinks about that. It's just like, <clears throat> we've that's overgrown. impossible. You get elected president as a Republican, and then in comes like the troops. Right. You know? Well, not, you know, that's not, the interesting scary, thing. Though. It's is scary, it's, though. You it's know? bipartisan, though. There's bipartisan support for this issue because for many reasons, the economy right. is one. Personal choice is another thing. I mean, conservative people... Uh, uh, liberal people, we both all feel the same way. It's like, oh, there's a personal choice issue, right? That's why That's why I kind of joke about, I'm only half joking when I say that Donald Trump getting elected means marijuana would be legal January 20th, assuming he gets sworn in, you know, January 21st or whatever mm-hmm. of 2017. Because like, if, if the, if your guy that's going to be AG or your government is going to, you know, has made promises because the federal law still says this is federally illegal, to go into 20, you know, 27 states that have medical yeah, that's never, and uh, eight or nine states, they can't do it. They can't so do it. So it's like the perfect moment between now and then to say, well, mm. we don't want them, we don't want to have to do this, fix the law. Like everyone just do a quick, mm-hmm. uh, 
you know, everyone everyone agrees, defederalize, do something. Again, I know that sounds outrageous to a lot of people, but yeah, I think right. it's an interesting thing to think it's about, concept. you know? So, do you, I mean, do you think it could happen? Do you think they could just snap their finger and say, okay, schedule one to schedule three? Do you think that's possible? Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, they could absolutely, you know, it's, it's more than the snap of the finger, you know, but in terms of Washington politics, it's like even quicker than a snap of a finger. But yes, if you made that move, like... It's something that's being strongly pushed now. Moving to Schedule 2 is not good. It doesn't do anything for us on the 280E tax issue. Nope, absolutely and, not. And it, it does it up Schedule for 3 at least temporarily. And it opens up for research, but that's until it. you break the NIDA monopoly, it, you still got to go through that whole process, which right. is the real three long Three to seven years. Anyways. Right. So, you know, I think that they won't do it for political reasons, but I think that could be one. I mean, obviously, we want defederalization. We want it to be removed entirely from... Uh, the schedules, but that's that's not going to happen administratively, um, you know. But uh, schedule three doesn't seem that far fetched. I my concern is they move it to schedule two, and then they're like, okay, it's kind of like a CBD law, right? We did something mm. for the kids, or we did something for the, right, you know, right. we've moved it to schedule two. We're now acknowledging there's medical benefit, but. Then they don't have to do anything. Then it's like, okay, right. on to the next thing. Right. And that's like classic. Georgia did a similar thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Georgia did it. I mean, you see a lot of people doing it. And so, you know, it happened all over the country. And But that was not necessarily a bad thing. It still got the conversation going. But it's you don't want them to somewhere. deal with it. It's what, I mean, it's really what Ohio did, right? They put in, which is, but it's not a terrible medical law. But instead of being like, oh, crap, we got this state law going to go on the ballot, probably going to pass this time for medical that's much more open. And so they passed a more restrictive state law. Oh, right. Then they took it off the ballot. So, I mean, it, you know, it's going to be uh, – I think it's going to be – ultimately, it's defederalization. But I think the conversation after November shifts entirely not to will the federal government regulate it, but how it will regulate it. And that, you know, that's not – you know, I'm saying this and that there are people that are working on that strategy. Um, probably a number of people I I don't know. A number of people I do know, though, and, you know, something I work on is is preparing for a federal regulatory regime that's – that's reasonable because we have, you know, we have to be, we have to be honest when this, when it, when it focus shifts to Washington, DC, there's a lot of people with a lot of money in a lot of these industries. Everyone talks about pharma and alcohol. Yeah, all these things. They're not working against this now. They're, they're keeping their powder dry, so to speak. So that when it does go to DC, you know, they're going to have a lot of say, if you look at like internet gaming and other things have, that have shifted from illegal to legal or quasi legal, you know, you gotta, right. you gotta be smart about how you approach it. And that's, that's really, I mean, the, the future so fight unknowns. is in DC. You know? So many unknowns. Yeah. That's for sure. What about, what we kind of briefly spoke about hemp, but what, what about the future of hemp? Sure. Yeah. Hemp is just another, you know, it's funny. We we're writing amendment 64 and there's a rule in Colorado as in most places called a single subject rule. So if you're going to put something on the ballot, it has to be about a single subject. And probably anyone listening to this understands the massive difference between hemp regulation and, you know, cannabis for adult use regulation. But for the longest time, it's been regulated as though they're the exact, exact same, same thing. thing. Right. So we figured why not throw it on cannabis. the, like, let's see if we can get it on the ballot and actually regulate hemp in amendment 64 too. And, it, they did, you know. It happened. Yeah. Right. Right. Kind of Nobody used, even know it. We, really. Yeah, we use right. their uh, sort of lack of knowledge against them. Let's say, but it's become a very. Uh, I would say it's become a um, more and more exciting every year in terms of the potential. We've seen some bigger and bigger crops. We now, you know, people experimenting in Colorado with uh, larger and larger fields, and 
taking bigger and bigger risks in terms of, you know, we have this interesting way of if it goes over a certain percentage, it's no longer hemp, you know, in Colorado, and then you might have to destroy your whole crop. But, you know, people creating pretty significant seed, you know, sort of seed. Right, because it all has to be self, self-generated here in Colorado, yeah. the seed. And now we're seeing real industrial folks coming and saying, well, all right, how are we going to process it? Like, what's the next steps? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Europe, basically Europe and China dominate hemp. Um, hemp China, China has a secret fiber. institute and a secret development project that we don't even know what they're doing, but China's, China's obviously realizes the potential there. A lot of people talk about Canada. Canada's not as nearly as sophisticated when it comes to hemp. They're doing, I mean, obviously they do some hemp stuff up there, but but yeah, it's Europe and China are the game right now, and we're just so we're far far, far behind. You know, we're right. really far behind. But with the federal farm bill, um, Kentucky, some of these other places coming on. I mean, I I think the the future for hemp is very bright. The tricky part is is that you know, like many people I've talked about earlier that that are you know experts, but they're not really. You know, you hear all sorts of different things that pimps this panacea for X, Y, and Z. Um, when it's not, but if you look at, you know, look at what Europe's doing with fabricating auto parts, um, you know, carbon fiber, uh, replacement type stuff, uh, it's in, it's being put into BMWs as we, as we sit here, it's being used as a lightweight, very strong plastic, plastic material. Right. And, and this is not, I mean, this is known, you know, it's a, it should be in very high demand. It's everywhere. You know, but hey, man, you know, like fighter planes will be made out of hemp in the future. The problem is you can't do it until you've proven for a period of time that, that, it's, that, that it's safe and everything else. But everyone knows it's safe. That's why it's just in our cars and stuff, not our planes <laughs> yet. But soon enough, you know. Yeah, all the farmers that I talk to, the the industrial farmers, the row crop farmers, and when they find out uh, what my interests are, what I do, they immediately ask about industrial hemp. Hemp for seed, hemp for animal food. Uh, they've all heard uh, some some great story about how they can be involved with hemp, and, and everybody's it, excited about it. If there, if we really embrace it in this country, um, and we compete in the world market for it, it is a very, very, very solid crop that it, for. There will be absolutely opportunities for farmers to, you know, that have been racing to the bottom and commoditization of other soybeans, corn, these other things. Like, absolutely, there is a a great place for hemp. Um, also, it's not that water intensive. You know, needs water at certain parts of its life, but then it can uh, sure, can manage fiber and industrial uses. It's fine. Absolutely, and then right. there's the whole different, different thing, which is like CBD, CBG production. You know, other cannabinoid production using hemp and. That's just a fascinating world. That throws the whole financial paradigm on its head when people look at it as fiber, cellulose, seed, food, oil. Medicine. You know, that was what they were looking at it at first. But now right. you throw That's medicine in there, right? Oh, yeah, about. all of a sudden you throw medicine in there and you're like, wow, it's a, you know, it's a crop that's like a buffalo of sorts, right? You can use all the parts for for different <laughs> things and 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 monetize them in a in a way that's good for the environment and, you know. It's a fascinating thing. It's an incredible plant. It is. Hemp plant, the coconut plant, both of those are, it can just generate so much goodness for all of us. Oh, it's wild, you know. You know, thank, thank, uh, thank the good Lord we didn't make coconuts illegal for some crazy reason, (laughs) you know. Uh, Yeah, that's right. I'd be packaging up, uh, (laughs) cocoa fiber soil, the, the dark gorilla, right? Gorilla style, growing coconuts in a in like a warehouse somewhere. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, (laughs) it was my, my, my dwarf Malaysian variety. 
<laughs> yeah, all the little tiny coconut, little tiny trees with tiny coconuts, you know. Oh, that's but... just, that's funny. I think I should make a, a comic about that. That's great. <laughs> that's a great idea. I'm going to run with that one. Give me a little credit, one. man. You know? <laughs> just a tiny, just a sh- tiny shout out would be Yeah, a, you know? absolutely. Wow. So th- this, has been, this has been fun. Yeah, man. You know, I, I got a couple things I generally try to ask everybody, and and, and one is terminology. Sure. Right? There's a... Uh, our industry has a whole special language of terminology uh, and growing and producing it. And, and, and do you guys also use, use the same terminology? Have you developed terminology of your own to describe this? Slang words, maybe, <laughs> right? <clears throat> sure. You know, and it's always a, you know, it's always a offending someone, you know, but like adult use marijuana versus recreation you know recreational sounds frivolous is what i'd I'd hear from people i'm like well i live in denver where recreational equipment international is like the coolest store you know rei is the coolest store like recreation is not a bad word here but back east it's like recreations you know bad for when you make enough money and you can go to the hamptons or whatever right you know and it's yeah it's bad it's not whatever so fluent in, in terms of the the legal you know the legal world of this, we talk about adult use because that sounds better. Like retail confuses people. A retail store seems like a medical store or non medical. I tell people I have a retail hydroponic store and they think I'm selling weed. <laughs> right, exactly. Right? So we try to, <laughs> th- we know we use things like adult use. Obviously, the funny thing about cannabis versus marijuana has been always an interesting thing where people, you know, say you got to stop saying marijuana because it's racist. I'm like, well, the law is the law. Though we've tried to change some of it, like my fight is not changing. You know, amending the Colorado Constitution and all of our statutes from marijuana to cannabis. I'll let someone else fight that fight when I'm working on <laughs> whatever it is Something next, else. psychedelics, right. whatever. You know, right. um, but you know, we, you know, we try to use cultivator. We try to, you know, grower, cultivator. We try to use things that are professional at that sound, you know, because it's, it's when I'm talking about, you know, the chief husbandry. The chief plant husbandry officer at a facility, you know, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, the head grower, yeah. you know, bud tender. CPH. I think bud tender does bud tender. a disservice at times to medical marijuana. It's great for talking to me and you. Like, hey, the bud tender's yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. They're just so but, uneducated for the most part. Yeah, but just, just trying, yeah, trying to find a better, you know, more palatable thing for, mm-hmm. for all stuff. But I'm not a hugely, I don't focus on, on the language or being politically correct. The language we use is whatever people can understand without having to explain it to them. Like even the word cannabis, you know, people you get you get people say, it, "Well, right? are you trying to trick people?" Because they don't know what cannabis is. I'm like, at this point, I'm pretty sure everyone knows what cannabis is. But they're like, "Are you trying yeah. to trick people or not?" You know, and I'm like, "Well, no, but you know, I'm getting shit from these people saying it's racist." You know, I'm getting and getting shit from these people saying that's not the scientific word cannabis is. You know, and so does it make sense to evolve to something better? Of course, but. You know, Absolutely. it's the medical marijuana law. Yeah, right. California is the first to use cannabis, I believe, yep. in their in their legal framework. <laughs> yep. And uh, you know, we're doing we're trying to do the same things and little stuff we do, but again, it just it creates vast inconsistencies. So I just wonder if it'll be a carryover. But you know, dispensaries, it's interesting, right? It's kind of like the word apothecary or other things. It's sort of an old I think in, in time it'll be an old fashioned yeah, word. A little frivolous wellness center and other things, you know. But, uh, yeah, right. But it's oh. you know, look, I think all all cannabis use is, you know, it's a wellness oriented thing. Medical I think medical frankly goes away in the relatively right. near future that term because of the FDA and other things. Yeah, you know? I mean technically it's it's you're making a claim that's unsubstantiated. Yeah, it's right. it is literally in the definition like it's medical marijuana, but I think right. there I think there's a there's you a, couldn't you have know. medical lavender today. 
You couldn't uh, sell medical lab. No, if I don't you said, med- yeah, it by it like by definition would not be allowed to be sold. So yeah, you know, I think I find language fascinating. I'm a lawyer, obviously, so language is incredibly important. But uh, you know, it's uh, it's interesting watching it develop. Dabbing, there's certain things that just sound bad, and like you know, I try to dabs. Be, yeah, and I try to you know, obviously, we're trying to win hearts and minds. So these people don't understand it at all. Never smoked, you know, smoked marijuana, weed. You know, they still call it dope. You know, or whatever. Right. You know, I'm like dope, like heroin, like you know. You know, it's like such a disconnect. No, from, we're not doing dope. I know, or you know, the weed, the dope. You know, and <laughs> and so, you know, the, a lot of the language I use is to soften when I'm talking to media or when I'm, you know, presenting to little old ladies or conservative groups, like you know, the Hearts and Minds campaigns that we're involved in now. I just try to, you know. Do you use the term marijuana when you talk to these people? Yeah, 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 right. But also, I'll mix in cannabis too. You know, maybe, right. I'll say I'll, maybe I'll say marijuana, and I'll be like, you know, but cannabis is a term that we use. Don't want to make make it. Any of you guys seem like I'm making up a word? That's actually a scientific word, mm-hmm. and you can kind of you don't have to go through the whole spiel about you know unless you really want to, but you can go into the whole thing about you know the racist underpinnings and of it the gives you a little and, educational point. I find I do use cannabis. Yeah. I've used it for twenty plus years, mm-hmm. literally. But I use the word <laughs> cannabis as well. So uh, I I find that if people don't know about it, it gives me an opportunity for education. Absolutely, right. You get totally to have agree. a little conversation and. Almost always, they walk away with a different perspective of it. Yep. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a good it's a good time to chat. Yeah, right? it's good. Like I said, if you have the if you have the time to do it, it's great to make the point. If you don't, people think you're trying to trick them. I have no. They're idea like, oh, you're, you're trying to make about. it a ni- sound nicer than it yeah, is. I'm I like, have no idea what you're talking about. No. Right? <laughs> yeah, I've had conversations with people, and it went like this: Oh, cannabis. She's like, cannabis. It's a plant. They've made it illegal. How can they make a plant illegal? Well, it's it's marijuana. Oh, marijuana! Oh, oh. I know, right? <laughs> it's funny, man. It's a uh, you know, it's it'll be interesting to watch all of this develop in terms of you know the language in particular because you know, like I said, some places are very hardcore about you know, do not call it marijuana. I'm like, sorry, absolutely. And like you know, I wasn't using the H in my spelling. Yeah, you know, yeah. I wasn't saying Juan. marijuana, <laughs> Juan. Juan. but it's you know, it's uh. It's just a part of the law. So it's like when you're undoing laws, you know, you're going to have to like use the language that people know mm-hmm. lest they think you're trying to trick them. That was really the biggest concern in Amendment 64. Right. Which interestingly, right? Proposition 64. That worked out. Yeah, that worked out yeah it did. It did. So you're a pioneer in the, the legal field of cannabis. Previously, it was criminal. If you were an attorney that focused on cannabis, you were a criminal attorney. Yep. Right. And and the tides are changing now. Right. If you want to focus on cannabis or marijuana, you know, and being an attorney, it's you're focusing on the legal, the yeah. legal industry. You, you, it, if there's some somebody out there who wants to be an attorney or is just uh, studying for his bar or is planning on going to law school this fall, you got some a- a- advice for these for these people on, on how to enter the field or, sure. or maybe how to approach it? Well, first of all, University of Denver is a good uh, good option. They have their own uh, cannabis-oriented programming right. for Jordan their law Wellington's school. got a class or yep. something. Jordan's doing some classes. We have the uh, Vicente Cedarberg Professor of Law and Policy, Sam Kamen. It's our endowed chair there and uh, teaches this. But he comes from a criminal defense background. I think a lot of people like – 
you know, criminal defense is a good background to have. Everyone should know, like, it's important that people know their rights. But the classes you need to take now, they're land use, planning, uh, regular, you know, ad- administrative law, uh, regulatory, you know, administrative regulatory law, uh, corporate transactions. You know, at CU Boulder, where I went to law school, you got the uh, entrepreneurial law clinic, which is really writing contracts, leases, employment agreements, operating agreements, all these types of things. I mean, that that is the key for anyone who's going to law school now to focus on. Pretend as though you're being a business lawyer, but you have to add in all the other real estate stuff too. Can- cannabis law, everyone's like, oh, there's no such thing like, yeah, there is, just like there's oil and gas law. It's a specific law that you then have to apply to all the areas of practice. Well, Christian, it's been a great conversation with you here today and uh, um, kind of opened up a couple other questions and a couple other people I want to chat with. And hopefully maybe you can come back in the future. Anytime you'll have me. Awesome. Well, hey, let's finish rolling this one up and uh, we'll take it on to the living room. Sounds good, man. Yeah. Thanks, Christian. You got it.